0: Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. This is the show where we talk to the people behind the productivity. I'm your host, Eric Fisher. This week, I get to do something that I rarely get to do, which is talk to two guests at once that are also married to each other, that also are into productivity. This week, I'm talking with Carrie and Demir Jokai. And the topic this week is all about accountability, specifically how leveraging the help of other people strategically in your life and finding the right people to be able to do that well can magnify and multiply the effects that you get from the effort that you put in in your life in your productivity and your goals you are trying to reach i think you're really going to get some great stuff out of this one that you can use for yourself personally, as well as if you're part of a team or an accountability group or a mastermind, you're going to find out how to better utilize your team members or connect with them, or not just the how to use them, but the why behind it, which then makes the how that much more effective. Before we get into that, I want to say thank you to Seth Godin's Alt-MBA for supporting this episode of Beyond the To-Do List. Seth Godin's Alt-MBA workshop is an awesome leadership and management workshop that's designed for people who have that fire in their belly, that desire to do more than what you're doing now or where you're at now. And four times a year, they bring groups of people together from all different industries and areas, and you interact with them, much like this episode talks about when it comes to accountability, the strength in numbers effect, to work with these people during... The workshops on projects that are pushing you ahead and creating a body of work as proof of not passive learning, but active experiential learning, putting concepts into practice as they become habits. Seth Godin's Alt-MBA workshop could be the thing for you to drink from the fire hose to make new and better habits while working with others so that you can have a bigger Impact. They're now accepting applications for the next sessions. And to find out more, just how to, just head on over to altmba.com slash beyond. That's com slash beyond. And for special consideration, you can mention this podcast in your application and let them know I sent you. Again, that's altmba.com slash beyond. Now enjoy this conversation with Carrie and Demir Jokai. This week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Carrie and Demir Jokai. Welcome to the show. Hey, welcome. Thank you.
1: Hey, Eric. So great to be here.
0: So this is actually a privilege to me because it's it's honestly a pretty rare occasion that I have uh, more than one person on the show at the same time, uh, let alone a husband and wife team let alone a husband and wife team that's into productivity. So this is pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, we I found my dream woman. Let's put it that way.
0: Nice, nice. Uh, so you guys run something called Lifehack Bootcamp, and you're claiming a 97% completion rate for an eight-week program, which is pretty cool. I know of only one other one that boasts like a high uh, level like that, which is the Seth Godin Alt-MBA. So, you know. There you go.
1: Exactly. And um, in a lot of ways, Seth Godin's program and ours use a lot of the same tactics we're going to be talking about today in order to create that completion rate. And so essentially what we've done is created um, a productivity program where someone can get 10 years of knowledge condensed down into eight weeks. And so we've got you know lifelong procrastinators Completing a very difficult program as a result.
2: Yeah, and just to highlight the industry average for a lot of the courses, and there's courses exploding online everywhere today, Mm -hmm. and the industry average is 3% completion rate. And so it's, you know, if you peek behind the curtain, you ask these people who are putting out some really incredible courses, what's your biggest problem? And they'll say, I have incredible information, but people aren't actually finishing it. They're not going through it. They're not taking the steps. They're not turning my knowledge into action that's really getting a result in their life. And so we've been able not just to do twice, three times as better, but go from 3% to 97%. And we're here not to talk about our program, but to talk about the tactics that we're using in the program that anybody who's listening today can use to start converting the knowledge that they have in their brain or in the courses that they haven't taken yet into real action.
0: Totally. Well, and I'm I'm a person that falls right in that category where – uh, so many different interviews, so many different books or courses or content consumed and even life experience where I've learned things, but then to turn that around and apply that to your life in a practical way, in a life-changing way can be difficult for people, especially when they don't necessarily have people walking them through it. And I know you guys have had a ton of experience uh, with the question of, you know, why do people fail When they want to make changes in their life or in their productivity.
1: The real reason why people fail, right? When they try to do something hard and new is that their existing habits are too strong, right? Mm -hmm. And we've all experienced this. Demir and I both have very different backgrounds. I'm from a corporate world. He's from a tech startup world. But no matter what background you're from, it's always the same when we try to change our existing habits try to keep us in the same place.
2: Yeah. So Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote the incredible book Triggers, I'm sure you're familiar with it. um, He talked, he says that adult behavioral change is one of the hardest things to do in the world. And I just love that quote because it, it puts right into our face the enormity of the challenge.
0: And you can't just flip a switch with those. It is literally incremental daily brick by brick type stuff.
1: Exactly. And real everyday productivity is about practice and drilling, right? Like you just said, because it's actually our animal brains that need to be trained in those new good habits. And so you see top performers are always dedicated to creating habits that allow them to be productive all day long with seemingly little effort. And that's kind of the magic that they that they have.
2: Yeah, it's really we're not respecting our animal brain. We treat our animal brain you know, if you if you look at that part of your brain, the part that responds through conditioned response. And forty-four percent of our behaviors every single day isn't a thought through response that's 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 uh, originated from our prefrontal cortex, it's actually a conditioned response that's just based on our pre-existing habits, routines, and triggers. And so when we treat that other part of ourself as an enemy and we, we're whipping it, we're saying, Why can't you do this? Why don't you do this? We're getting into this self-defeating cycle where frankly, that relationship with yourself, your lizard brain, is getting worse and worse, not better and better. And in fact, in our Life Act Summit, one of the things that people are just going nuts over is just one quote from Marissa Peer, uh, the famous therapist. She said, the superpower for mindsets is the ability to collaborate with yourself. The, there's nothing truer than that. If you can really get into a collaboration with your lizard brain and start to understand what it wants, what it needs, clear out the space so it's not being triggered in a negative way, create positive triggers. This is a superpower of turning knowledge into action.
0: Totally. Yeah. And, you know, there's Charles Duhigg's been on the show before talking all about, you know, how we create habits. Let's do a real quick summary here. So habits basically, uh, if I hear you correctly, and from my experience are kind of like the muscle memory of your brain. Where you go ahead and do something, not because necessarily you are being intentional about it, but because it's something you've just always done that way, and so if you've worn that groove mentally, it's something that happens without you thinking about it
2: you're completely right, right in your summary there you know how do we form these good habits right What is the fuel if you think about habit creation engine right a machine that creates habit for us? What fuel do we have to put in one side of the machine in order for the other side to spit out good habits? And that fuel, unfortunately, is very rare. It's called discipline. And it's not something we have a lot of, right? And so we're not actually going to talk about habit formation today. We're going to talk about the fuel for habit formation, the thing that we need before we actually form habits. And that's discipline. And because it's something we're in short supply of, um, it's, it's, that's where sort of people stop. That's where this whole equation gets sort of plugged up.
1: So the life hack actually to generate more discipline is to leverage accountability. And that's really a huge super hack that we can all leverage as humans because we're such social animals.
2: And, and just take a look back. This, don't believe us. Take a look back. And when you look at human civilization now and through the ages, whenever we've accomplished tremendous things, the heights of human, the pinnacles of human performance, you're always going to see a group formed around a singular effort. So if it's the military, you see a platoon fo- headed up by a you know platoon leader, right? You've always got these sort of groups. And so the truth is, is that as human animals, we, we do have like sort of a hive intelligence, right? And when we need to borrow accountab- uh, discipline from other people, we can actually borrow it. We can generate it in groups when we can't actually create it ourselves. And so this is what we're so nerdy about with accountability is that Yeah, sure, that word's very hot right now, accountability. But what we see behind that word is a hive intelligence that allows us to do things together that we just cannot achieve separately. And in fact, there's a really interesting study about this where they showed uh, that a human being in a room trying to bicycle as fast as they could and beat their own times um, sort of set a certain record. And then they put another person in the room bicycling right next to them. And then they went 144 times faster. So just the presence of another human being in your space doing the same effort, it's not even competition, just that presence of another human being can have this tremendous effect on your uh, on your output and on, on what you think your limits are.
1: Exactly. Because accountability is such an easy way to create those bigger, better results in your life, right? Like, Think back to the last time you were on a team, right? And you were accountable for that team's success. You probably had a coach or a team member who was pushing you, expecting you to show up, expecting you to practice. And so you naturally just got better at that sport than you were before. And productivity is like that as well, because tough things are so much easier if you have an accountability buddy to answer to at the end of the week. It's that that form of light social pressure that's highly effective for humans.
0: Yeah, I can actually point back to a couple of episodes from earlier this year, one where a friend of mine that I do sometimes co-work with, since we're both remote workers, will actually uh, say, hey, I got a lot to do today, and so do you, so let's go do it together, and even if we're not collaborating on the same thing – Our collective discipline will help us stay on track, even if we occasionally take five, ten minutes to have some, you know, water cooler talk about the latest, whatever, Marvel movie or Spider-Man or something, you know, just to keep us going. And even another person uh, came on and they were talking about a productivity uh, retreat. And even in that, when they were in their solitude and hammering away at something for days at a time, they had check-in points with somebody for accountability where they would call them, and that that call was already set up ahead of time to be uh, on place. Absolutely. But I would up the stakes a little bit,
2: Eric, which is what if – I would just ask this question to you in the audience. What if we're only tapping the smallest amount of what that's possible, right? Yeah. What if we're only tapping – For us calling a friend and checking with a friend, what if that's just 2% of what we could unlock? And what if we're really just at the beginning of understanding how we can manipulate this um, fantastic phenomenon, which is this phenomenon that when we get other people involved in our performance, that our performance jumps. And we know that when you fast forward, if you want to look at um, what the world of productivity could look and what your performance could look like, check out the world of sports. Where you know there is a team structure there each each person has you know eight staff members or coaches you know surrounding them available to them right there's light social pressure that's actually been cranked up into intense social pressure uh, there's support, but there's also competition there's um, best information, best knowledge, constant feedback loops and so if you want to think about fast forwarding what that would look like, it would look a lot like pro sports now the problem I think that we need to address here before we go on. Is that a lot of people don't think about productivity like pro sports. And, and this is what I call the sort of didactic versus experiential gap. Didactic education is the, like the education we got in school, right? The education where we're sitting, passively absorbing information from a teacher versus you know didactic education, which is learning how to throw pots and, and, and create pottery, right? Uh, you can't You can read everything you want about creating pottery. And be terrible the first time you create a pot, right? It's something you have to have a tactile sort of learn sensation. So the combination of knowledge and practice. And so the problem is that we think about productivity like we think about calculus. Like it's just something I learn. And then once I know it, I will seamlessly be able to put it into effort. And w- and yet we see day and day out our clients telling us that their number one frustration is that they do know a lot about productivity. And they're not doing anything about it. So what we have to do in our minds, Eric, is we have to move productivity from the didactic education column over into experiential and start thinking about productivity much more like sports, much more like playing piano, much more like leadership, things that can only be mastered by doing it.
1: And I think there's, there's ways that you can do it correctly. And there's ways that that will not be as effective. And this is what we've really been testing and learning with Lifehack Bootcamp for the last couple of years now, really. So we'll see a lot of people say, okay, you know, I'm going to get my friend on the phone once a week, and we're going to do an accountability call together. And that's great, but it's not going to be as effective unless that friend is someone who is someone you greatly respect and who you're actually not that good of friends with.
2: Yes. Yeah. So it's funny, Carrie brings up this point that um, we've seen a lot of people say to us, yeah, I've done accountability. It doesn't work for me. Very frequently, when we ask them to break it down, um, what you'll find is that, you think that the person who's going to be your best accountability buddy is the person you're best friends with. But unfortunately, as is the case with friends and family, we're always giving ourselves a break, aren't we? So if you and I, Eric, are like, you know, brothers, and you say, oh, man, I couldn't make it. I'll say, oh, don't worry about it. We'll do it tomorrow, right? Uh, There's no loss of social credibility when you don't do what you're supposed to do in the accountability relationship, right? And so what's interesting is we found that You want to be acquainted with this person. You want to respect them, but too close of an acquaintance often gives you a license to cop out on each other. So there needs to be some – there needs to be a prize that can be lost, and that could be money, but that usually is more effective. It's less effective with money. It's more effective with social credibility.
0: Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people also think, oh, this accountability person in my life has to be someone I'm in physical contact with in the same location, the same city, that sort of thing. Um, absolutely not. We found that that doesn't matter nearly as much. You can have a, you know, a great accountability relationship with somebody who's many states away, who maybe you don't even know that well right now, but the relationship is formed around that premise of accountability and there's that built in respect. And that becomes the number one most important thing that leads to success.
2: So before I toss it back to you, Eric, I just want to summarize that, right? So the number one thing that you're going to be looking for from your accountability is you got to put some stakes on the table. There's got to be table stakes. And the the most effective table stakes are social credibility. Your ideal buddy is somebody who you would be loath, just really upset to have them think, oh, Eric's a flake. Eric's flaking on me again. So you would... If you have that visceral feeling in your body like, oh, my God, I can't have this person looking down on me. I will, I will jump over a building or move a mountain to make my accountability call with this person. And when I make that accountability call, I do not want to be caught saying that I didn't do what I said I was going to do. That's your ideal accountability partner, not somebody who is just going to say, ah, no problem, Eric. We'll get it next time. right? Interesting. And then the, yeah. second thing, the second thing that Carrie just mentioned, um, which we can dive deeper if you want to, is don't worry about location. It is not location is almost a nil factor, probably time zones could be a little bit inconvenient if you 're in too different of a time zone, but physical proximity and location uh, seems to have no significant effect on the impact of the accountability relationship.
0: I keep hearing the word accountability and and that 's the word that a lot of people may not be familiar with. They may be more familiar with a different word or a different kind of collective you know organizing which I think is different from accountability. But uh, a lot of people talk about masterminds. You're talking about like a one-on-one here. What about like a group mentality or a group accountability situation?
2: Accountability can work in a lot lot of different setups. But again, I'm going to direct you, Eric, to the model that's already been well-developed, which is when you look at high levels of performance in the military or in sports, what's funny is you'll find this leitmotif, these, these constant structures coming back and again, which is you usually see a coach or a facilitator or an instructor or a platoon leader, right? Somebody who's sort of at the very top, responsible for creating the environment. And by the environment, what I mean is, what is the environment? The environment is a bubble of increased expectations. Your friends and your family, your girlfriend, your, your boyfriend, they're not going to come up to you, Eric, and say, Eric, you could have been better this week, Right. <laughs> you know, because nobody wants to be the bad guy in your life, and frankly it's not your girlfriend or wife's responsibility to do that that's not the, they're your support structure they're, they create safety and love in your life they're not responsible for taking you to one hundred percent of your capabilities, right And so the truth is is that we lack above an environment, a bubble where when we step inside that bubble the expectations that the world has around us go to go to the side and we step up to this new higher level of expectation.
1: Yeah, and and a, a mastermind can be a great way to do that if it's again formed around the same principles of respect and you're going in there with an attitude of taking full responsibility for your actions because let's be honest, when you're sitting at a round table with a lot of other people, it can be easy to hide or just simply, you know, get by without really saying how you're doing and what you're doing and how that's different. So we like having the team model as well because of that increased social pressure. But we also encourage those one-on-one conversations because no one is able to hide in that situation. So a lot of people think as well that maybe, oh, well, okay, if I need a team, why don't I just post out to my social networks? Why don't I commit to something um, that's due and and then you know use that as my accountability in order to get that thing done? We find that's still not as effective, and I can go into that a little bit more, but the most effective version is either that one-on-one accountability or a team structure.
2: Yeah, so touching back to the mastermind, your question was, what do we think about masterminds? When you have a strong central figure whose only job is not to be right, but is to defend these increased expectation levels, this higher level of performance. So that person needs to be able to point to somebody and say, I'm sick of you showing up here week after week doing that. Because in a lot of masterminds, we've seen that central figure doesn't want to step up to that responsibility. And we also see in these masterminds people, you you also have to be really – it's got to be carefully curated. So you have to be really, really dreading coming to that group and saying, hey, guys, I didn't do what I said I was going to do. And then the last thing I'll say, very frequently in these structures like in pro sports or in the military – You'll see a buddy system, just like we do with kids, where we, you've got a big group of kids and you have two of them hold hands together and say, okay, you're responsible for the other one. And so uh, the buddy system is very helpful in making sure that somebody is ultimately responsible for somebody else. So every single person has another person who's responsible for them showing up and doing the work. And that is tremendously helpful. So if your mastermind, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, does my mastermind qualify, um, I think that mastermind has to have those aspects a very strong leader who's defending the space and creating the environment, it's got to have a carefully curated group. And I I typically really enjoy it when they have a, a one on one buddy system as well.
0: After we've created kind of this environment of accountability, how can we best lean into that, you know, that hive mind discipline or mentality to start to eliminate those mental roadblocks that we individually have inside ourselves?
1: We have a couple sort of main limiting concepts that come up in our day-to-day, right, that really kind of keep us down. It's great when you're in the right mood and, you know, you're feeling yourself to, to say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get all this stuff done this week. But there's also these, these things that come up that sabotage our, our results during the day. We have almost five main limiting concepts that we address in our boot camp that really, really slow people down in their day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the limiting concepts are interesting and related to accountability because ultimately the accountability is not going to work if people are bringing their junk into the accountability space, right? And you really have to ask yourself, how can I be a good accountability buddy? So that's the next step. We've talked about creating the environment. We talked about the environment doesn't need to be in person. It could be digital. We've talked about the kind of um, aspects of the environment. Now let's talk about who you need to be In the accountability relationship so that the other person gets a good experience. Because a lot of times the selfish creatures that we are, we're thinking, how can that person help me? And I think the best way to say is how can we make almost a contract together where we agree on who we're going to be for each other in this space?
1: You're truly optimizing for the best possible results for the team, right? It's almost like game theory where you want to optimize for the, the highest possible social outcome. And and so the, the team leader does have to have to create that environment as well, where they make sure that everyone is being selfless instead of selfish. And in order to do that, we need to debunk a couple, a couple things that are going on with people's mindsets.
2: So we're going to do two things. We're going to talk about five limiting concepts that you need to call out in your accountability relationship, whether that's one-on-one or it's a team or a pod. Um, But before I do, I just want to say uh, the first thing you need to do is make an agreement with that person That you're going to have wear multiple hats. That if you are friends, that you're going to take your friend cap off when you do these accountability calls and ask, and having that person give you permission to put your accountability buddy cap on, and that's very important because if you don't do that, uh, it's possible that friend, if they don't explicitly give you permission, creating that explicit permission to increase the level of expectation that selling each other out is your number one danger. The number one danger you have in any accountability relationship is that either the group leader will sell you out or your team members will sell you out or you will sell them out. And by selling them out, what we're really saying is giving them a pass and say, well, this week was hard. I'll get it next week.
1: Exactly. And so just to put a fine point on what Demir said, you can tell if you're selling yourself out or selling your buddy out if, for example, you start missing calls with them Mm -hmm. or you find yourself dreading calls with them. Or avoiding calls with them, um, so all those sort of symptoms can indicate to you. You can really take a step back and say, hmm, you know, what's going on here is something not working the way it's supposed to. And so the five limiting concepts or are, are going to help you work on your own mental game so that that doesn't actually happen to you.
2: Absolutely, and I just want to make one quick point, Eric. We ha- we recently had somebody go to a um, you know huge party, uh, actually throw this huge party at his mansion. In Connecticut, 200 guests, and he stepped out for an hour to do an accountability call with the team, even though you had 200 guests downstairs. And that just goes to show you that when something is really important to you, you do make time for it, right? And, and we hear all these excuses, oh, you know, my cat's sick, whatever, the dog ate my homework. But when something's really important to you, we've had people logging in from hospital rooms, we've had people logging in from uh, business retreats. We've had people logging in from family vacations. Oh, there was
1: that one person who logged in from Antarctica.
2: Yeah, we had somebody log in from Antarctica. So, so we've 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 had people logging in, and it's because we're successful in creating a space of those increased expectations.
0: So, what are these five mental blocks? Let's dive into those a little bit, so people can kind of identify. Uh, the symptoms and, or like how, how, how they experience those in their own lives so they can say, Oh yeah, you know what? That is me. I need to get over those. I need help to get over those.
2: Yeah. So let me set this up really quick. What we found is that in accountability relationships, uh, there were five things that people would say, we call them limiting concepts. Um, and you said in different ways, but there's five archetypal things people would say that would shut down their accountability partner completely. And their accountability partner had no ability to come back to these five things. And so what we did was we actually broke down each of those five things so the accountability buddy could come back with a higher truth that unlocked that trapped mental space. So uh, maybe Carrie and I can play it out. I'll be the limited accountability buddy and Carrie will be the accountability who's plugged into the higher truth. So um, I might come into our accountability uh, call, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's one-on-one or it's a group call and, and say, you know, guys, I just don't have enough hours in the day. I'm just not, I don't have enough time to do what I need to do.
1: Right. And we've all said this before, right? We are all guilty of this one. And what I could say back as to the accountability buddy is actually like, okay, you know, that's really interesting that you said that. But remember that it's actually not about the number of hours you have in the day. It's actually about your energy, it's about your cognitive load that you're spending throughout your day. And you actually have a decision bank of about 200 decisions available per day, regardless of the hours that are available. So let's dig into where you're spending those decisions and how we can front load your most important work so that on the next call, you're coming back with some actual results.
2: So the higher truth is then that cognitive lo- load is my enemy, not time. So if you come in saying, I don't have enough hours in the day, your buddy is helping you remember, hey, actually, cognitive load is what's limited in my life, not time. Because once you're burned out at your performance drops and your ability to think clearly drops. So it's really about focusing on managing not just your time, but also your energy and your focus.
1: Exactly. And usually that energy and focus is going towards unimportant sort of shallow work. You know, you're running around, you're trying to do simply too much. And the very first thing that the accountability buddy would help with is like, what can we say no to here? What can we just completely eliminate from your life such that you feel that you have enough time and freedom to really get things done? That can either be the case that can actually be what's happening, or This could have been just an excuse that person was making for not getting results. So we see both of those scenarios.
2: And the reason we call it a limiting concept, Eric, and a higher truth is that, you know, like every good lie, there's a there's a kernel of truth here, isn't there? I don't have enough hours in the day. I mean, there is a kernel of truth that you've overcommitted yourself. You're under optimized. You're you're not you're not prioritizing your correctly and you're not managing your energy. So you're genuinely not getting the work done. And so there's a kernel of truth to that. The problem is that lower truth, the limiting concept, sort of paints you in a corner, doesn't it? Once you say, I don't have enough hours in the day, where are you going to go from there? Like nowhere. And the higher truth, cognitive load is my enemy, not time, gets you into a place. It unlocks you. It opens up possibilities. It gets you thinking about how do I manage my time? How do I manage my energy? Where am I putting my priorities? And so what we're always trying to do is take those lower limiting truths And convert them into higher truths that open you up into new possibilities. So that's number one. I don't have enough hours in the day becomes, no, actually, I need to manage my energy and attention, not just my time. Number two, if you want that one, is um, I might might walk in and tell Carrie, you know, I I just – I don't know what it is. I just can't stay focused. You know, I I think I have ADD. There must be something wrong with me. And before we move on, have you heard that, Eric? (laughs) People before? Yes. Yeah, I must have ADD.
0: Even from the people that
2: don't have it, yes. Well, you know, an interesting factoid here is that, you know, five to 11 percent of the diagnosable population, you know, has really some kind of attention deficit disorder. And we've interviewed some incredibly productive people. And there's two funny things about this. One, the people we've interviewed with ADD, even in this summit, we interviewed Dan Martel, who sold multiple multimillion dollar companies. We've interviewed Brett Turkstrap. They all see it as a superpower for them. They've converted it. So they're not in a victim space with their ADD. They're not using it as an excuse. And the second thing, and this will probably blow your mind, is we we survey every single client that we work with. And we ask them if they think they might have ADHD or adult ADD. And, and 90 plus percent say yes. So there's a gap here. If 5 to 10 percent of the population actually has ADD, but 90 percent of our clients think they have ADD, then there's there's something amiss here right and and what what we call that is the di- misdiagnosis gap because the truth is that when you're overworked and overtired you get which is actually a diagnosable condition when being overworked is something that you can actually diagnose the symptoms of being overworked and overtired are remarkably similar to ADHD remarkably similar you can't remember things you can't focus you're sort of your mind wanders right you procrastinate uh, you're filled with fear and anxiety, right? So these are a lot of similar overlaps between ADHD. So w- what a lot of people are saying when they say, I think I have ADHD, a good majority of those people don't, they're just overtired and overworked. So when you come in and I say to Carrie, I just can't stay focused, there must be something wrong with me. Um, then, you know, what you're really saying is I'm in a victim space to my overwork.
1: Exactly. And um, the higher truth there is what we already talked about, which is that you know, your work is the product of your habits. It's not about your feelings. And, you know, your brain and you are actually perfect. And it's actually a supercomputer that's sitting between your ears. And so there's definitely not something, you know, chronically wrong with you, you know, unless you're diagnosed, right? And then in that case, you have to um, pursue alternate strategies. But focused working is truly a habit for everybody. It's a habit. It's not a state of mind. There's no one who just wakes up And they're, you know, automatically focused. They have to work work at it, at least some of the time.
2: Yeah. So, quick example of how true this is. What Kara's saying: focus working is a habit, not a state of mind. You can take the most focused worker in the world, and if you put them in a distracting environment, they will not be able to sustain that focus. And yet, we have proof time and time again that if you take the most distracted people in the world, and you put them in the right environment, they will be able to get focused. And so a lot of us are talking about we're starting with feeling, I feel distracted, I feel unfocused, there's something wrong with me, where we really need to be starting is environment. What's my environment? Where's my habits? If you have environments of focus and habits of focus, you will have a mind that can focus.
1: And so um, our third limiting kind of concept here is somewhat related to that. And it's I've just got too much on my plate.
2: Yeah, and you've heard that before, right? People say, I just got too much on my plate. Oh, yeah. I've said it. I've said it. (laughs) There's just too much on my plate, right? Um, And what's interesting is the higher truth is that, and really absorb this when I say this, success is not actually about getting everything done. As much as you can deny it, the truth is your brain thinks that if we can tick every box on our to-do list, then we will somehow be successful. And the truth is, is that if you ticked every box on your to-do list for the next 10 years, it's entirely possible you will still not be successful, right? Success isn't about getting everything done. It's about getting the right things done in the right time to the right level of completion. And I'll say that one more time. Success is about getting the right things done in the right time to the right level of completion. And so what that means is that if you get the right thing done, to the right level of completion, but you did it two weeks early or too late. Well, if you did too late, well, guess what? It doesn't count. You missed the mark. But here's another controversial statement. If you, I would say that if you're doing something too early, you're also not optimized, right? We want to be allowing ourselves to wait till the bread rises to put it in the oven, right? right. And so I see a lot of people doing things too early. I see them doing too late. A lot of it is about beating that inner perfectionist and finding the golden median point where you say, okay, this is exactly how much needs to be done, it's exactly the right thing to be done, and I'm delivering it in exactly the right time.
1: And this is the conversation that you want to be having with your accountability buddy. So when, when you're on your calls with your accountability buddy, you don't want to just be listing off all the stuff you got done. You want to explain to them, here's the thing I chose to do, and here's why it's most leveraged for me right now. And then they know that's what they can, they can hold you accountable to. And
2: if you want to be a great buddy... You're always pushing your other buddy saying, great, you got this done. Was it the right thing to get done? Right? Oh, great, you got it done. Did you get it done on time? Are you beating and, – and to the right level of completion means really being your perfectionist, your inner perfectionist, meaning you want to be excellent. You want to show your clients in the world how good you are. You want to be so good they can't ignore you. But by the same token, we have so many clients crippled by perfectionism,
0: how, absolutely crippled. How – um. How involved should an accountability partner be in the helping the person who needs to decide what to do when? Uh, How involved should they be? Should they help them primarily from a question-asking standpoint of, you know, kind of posing the question and having the person then think about it and then order things that way? Or should they say – hey, let's write this all out on whiteboard and let me help you like, you know, I'll give you my input and help you order it. I think actually both would probably work. But what's your opinion on that?
1: Yeah, I would say that you're your own expert in your own life, right? There's nobody who knows more about your life than you. And so you don't want to put that all on your accountability buddy to help you make big important decisions about, you know, your priorities and stuff like that, you know, take ownership. And really, I would say you need to drive the ball and be telling them but their, their role is to kind of kick it around a little bit and just make sure and just see if they put pressure on it. Will it break or will you stay true to it and say, no, no, really, that is the most important thing. And so um, I would say that it's more of a vetting role. So if Demir comes to me and says like, hey, you know, this is the most leveraged thing. I want to get five new clients this week. I might come back and say, well, really, because you told me last week that it was to launch this new product. So, you know, help me understand why it changed. Okay, it changed for various reasons. All right, and why is it 5 and is that achievable this week? And what would that do for you in the long run to really make that leveraged instead of just maybe short-term income?
2: Yeah, and a lot of times you're listening for things that are incongruent. So, there, I'll give you two since we've since we broke this open, I'll give uh, the listeners two really concrete sort of tool. So write this down if you want. One is the Socratic method, right? Just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. Because the questions don't judge, right? So you're not, you're not claiming to be the expert. If I'm your accountability, Eric, I'm not claiming to know your life or your conditions. I'm just asking questions. And the second is hold up a mirror. You're just holding up a mirror and saying, Eric, I don't know, but last week you said your priority was to have more family time. And yet this week you're saying that you want to stay in the office till 8 p.m. every week to increase your sales numbers. So I'm hearing two conflicting priorities. I'm hearing overlap and conflict and priorities. So, okay, where's that coming from? And I just want to mirror that back to you and how do you react to that? So you're just mirroring it back and sending it back over to them without any judgment, just saying, here's what I'm hearing and seeing from my side. So we've got three limiting concepts on, that we just covered. We said I don't have enough hours in the day. I can't stay focused, and I must must have ADD, and I just have too much on my plate. Number four is, and you got to follow me here because this one sometimes takes a second, is I don't control my own resources. and and, and, uh, Let me send it back to you, Eric, and say, have you ever heard somebody say, man, I would love to optimize my schedule at work, but I I can't do that because my boss controls my time. He really owns my time at work. Or, oh, man, I'd really love to get in control of my finances, but – you know, my my wife controls the the money. I, I just don't have any anything to do with that. Or man, I'd really love to get in control of my priorities, but my kids are just taking up all my time and I just can't. Have you heard this?
0: Oh, totally. Yes.
2: Right. And so this is the ultimate shift into victim space because what you're really saying is I don't own my own resources, so I can't take control of this situation.
1: Exactly. And so the higher truth here is, my ownership of my resources is completely inalienable. It actually cannot be given up unless we give it up ourselves. And so when you say something Can you like define that, for
2: them what inalienable means? Because there's gonna be the occasional person that's like, I haven't heard that since eighth grade. That's Go like
1: ahead. in the declaration or something. That's <laughs> the last time anyone used that word. Basically, inalienable means it's it's something that we have since birth and is something that's just born to us and given to us as humans. And it's not, you know, it can't be created or destroyed.
2: You can't sell it. You can't give it away. So, for example, it, you know, I can't sell myself into slavery, even if I wanted to. It's my right to my independence. My freedom is inalienable in this country. I can't even give it up. And so your your ability, your control over your time, your money, your priorities, that's inalienable. Even when you try to give it up, the truth of the matter is life will always come back and point to you and say, no. You can't give it up, even if it takes to the end of your life for you to realize it, that ultimately you're responsible for how you meet your commitments in life. So for example, when you married your wife, you didn't say, I'm going to do everything she wants in exactly the way she wants, although that does make it very easy. <laughs> the, truth is what what, the truth is what you're saying is, I'm going to step up to being the best husband I can be with the resources that I'm given and the creativity that I have and at any given moment, if I get new information about a better way to meet my commitments to my wife as a husband, then I'm going to change course and I'm going to do that. So you're, you're – and same with your kids. You're not saying I'm going to be a parent in X or Y way. You're saying I'm committed to being this type of father and creating this type of outcome for them with the resources I have in the most creative way that I can possible. And if that changes tomorrow, if there's a better way tomorrow, then I'm going to do it that way tomorrow.
0: So it's kind of like having a sense of agency and ownership. Absolutely. And you can see how in an accountability relationship, it's really important for your buddy to be able to
2: call you out on that.
1: Exactly. Because these are the sort of limiting concepts you want to be watching for in your accountability partner as well. um, So that that you don't let them kind of like slip away from you as it were. You want to watch out for them in yourself and you want to be out on the lookout because it can easily, like we said before, kind of devolve into a pity party. Where we're just both making excuses for each other and saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I understand. Like, well, you know, cut yourself a break. Yeah, man,
2: that sucks. Yeah, I, <laughs> we,
0: yep.
1: we, we get a lot of that, right? Um, and it's because it's the easy way out and it doesn't force us to really challenge ourselves. Um, but if you can identify these limiting concepts, then you have a way of coming back at your accountability partner with a higher truth in a way that's not, you know, you're not being a jerk to them.
2: Yeah, so instead of so a jerk reaction would be i don't control my my time my money dude you you know you're you're selling out you're being a victim you're copping out well that's a confrontational position and that's not going to be productive so when you say hey let's talk about i'm hearing you know i i'm hearing the limiting concept number 4 i'm i'm hearing i don't control my own time my own money so let's talk about how we can get you back to the higher truth here right are you willing to talk about that and then you've got a constructive essentially positive dialogue that you're, you're having with this person. And, and it, this actually reminds me of one key rule that we have with our accountability buddies, which is this is not free therapy. This is not right. a free therapy session. So if you find that your accountability buddy, that either you're doing it or they're doing it, where they're just sort of listing all of their woes and injustices and stresses, um, re- gently reminding them like, hey, that's not what we're doing here. This isn't free therapy. This isn't a dumping session. This is to get accountable and move ourselves to a place of extreme ownership.
1: Yeah, because you want to speak to them the way you see them, which is as you know at their highest level. You want to always be speaking to your accountability buddy because then they're going to treat you at your highest level as well. And they're going to hold you to that higher standard. So it's really beautiful, Eric, when you see this created um, amongst two people. Say you know we buddy up two people in the boot camp and they're complete strangers. And by the end of it, they have, you know, a deep, deep respect for each other because they've been speaking to each other to, at their highest levels for the entire eight weeks.
2: Yeah, and I just want to be clear about that. What highest level means is when when I come in, I might be in a space of self pity, victim. Um, this is happening to me. And Carrie, instead of descending to that level and and pity jumping into that pity party with me, she stays. She keeps talking to me as if I'm. At 100%, fully in ownership of my resources, fully in ownership of my excellence and greatness, right? And so she she doesn't descend to the lower self. She keeps talking to me as if I'm my higher self. And to have somebody treat you like that, Eric, is just absolutely profound because it's like a wake-up call. It's like a cup of coffee. It reminds you of who you can be, who you have been, and who you want to be.
0: Yeah, and that you, the fact that you've entered into this contract with them, you both agreed on your wearing multiple hats roles.
1: Exactly. And
2: in fact, you know, bringing it's it's a great idea to to bring these main limiting concepts and higher truths to, you know, have them on the call, actually be looking at them on the call so that when you're hearing these, you can actually see the higher truth that you can respond to. You can actually throw red flags on the field at the at the instant that you're hearing
0: Okay. So I'm really curious about what number five is.
1: Yeah. So number five, this is my favorite one, right?
0: (laughs) I have to tell a story about number five because it used to be the four limiting concepts. And then
2: we discovered number five and we had to add it because it is actually a really profound one. Everyone's
1: going to be like, oh, you know, they've all done this, right? We've all done it. Um, Number five is this imperfect blank is keeping me from getting results. This imperfect uh software, this imperfect person, this imperfect car, job, traffic, town, yeah. spouse. We've heard it all.
2: Yeah. So so if you and, and the way that you normally hear this coming out of somebody's mouth is I could get a promotion if it wasn't for my boss or, oh, I could really be amazing if my wife wasn't holding me back or I could you know, but obviously, guys, not the case. In my case, my wife, that's is right. amazing. <laughs>
1: exactly. I just
2: want to be very clear to everybody listening. But uh, or, you know, man, I could really get fit if it wasn't for my kids. I'm, a, you know, and, and so you hear this a lot that the that, that imperfections in life are what are keeping you from being this amazing person.
1: We've also even heard it at a, at a more um, baser level, I guess, like when people get frustrated with something, um, they can even say things like, oh, this this video on this course platform didn't play. That's that's why I couldn't, you know, get this work done in my life this week. And you really think about that and you're like, really? Is that really the case? Like that yeah. was the only thing keeping you from your results.
2: Yeah. And, and the ultimate test is always if somebody gave you a million dollars to do the thing and create the outcome that you were, you're saying that you couldn't commit, would you be able to do it? And almost 100% of the time the answer is, yeah. So if somebody give you a, if you're a dad and you had a busy schedule but I said I'll give you a million dollars to get fit. You'd figure it out. You'd figure out a way to schedule it in, right? Um, if I give you a million dollars to get that promotion, you'd figure out a way to get around your boss and 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 get recognized around your boss. If you if you got a million dollars to be to work on time, you figure out the traffic patterns, right? And so a lot of these are really a function of saying, hey, I'm really getting to a victim space because I'm waiting for life to be perfect before I show up.
1: And the way that you can sort of gently guide your accountability buddy or yourself back onto sort of the straight and narrow is just reminding yourself of the higher truth, which is that there's thousands of imperfect solutions out there
2: to every problem in every
1: problem. And there's actually zero perfect solutions.
2: Yeah. So we're, we're we're looking for that perfect solution. We're waiting for that perfect pitch. And the second you finally just like say to yourself, slap yourself in the face and say there are zero perfect situations. There's zero perfect people in life. There's zero perfect scenarios. There's zero perfect technology. There's zero perfect uh, businesses. There's zero perfect business partners, right? And so once you realize that everything in life is inherently a process of creating, bridging solutions across imperfect points, then you realize there's thousands of imperfect solutions, millions of imperfect ways to solve every single problem and zero perfect ways. And so once you stop trying to hyper-focus on, I can... I can be successful when the world lines up and, and bows down in front of me and, and offers me up perfect solutions. Well, that's never going to happen. Once you open yourself up to realizing that the reason we look up to people like Richard Branson and Sheryl Sandberg and all of these amazing people is they're actually able to create incredible results with imperfect inputs.
0: Awesome. So we've talked about accountability. We've talked about the, the necessity of accountability, really and, and the, the why behind it, and even the how, and then delved deep into uh, these five limiting beliefs, I want to point people to where they can learn more about you and the Lifehack Bootcamp. So let's talk about that. Let's make sure everybody knows where to go, and then we'll link all this stuff up in the show notes.
1: Absolutely, yeah. So you can find us at lifehackbootcamp.com. All our contact information is on there. You can even take our whole free masterclass. It's lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash masterclass, or you can just check out the website.
2: And I'll just reverse really quick and say um, one of the things we weren't able to cover that is also a a, a fantastic topic about accountability is when do I use accountability buddies, right? Um, Do I use it every day? Do I use it once a week? Can I use accountabilities with my work blocks? So since we weren't able to cover that, the masterclass that Carrie talked about talks about the way that we block out our time. And I would encourage people who do have an accountability buddy and want to use that accountability buddy on a daily or semi-daily basis to actually run work blocks together. We actually teach you our sort of developed – sort of singular developed method for blocking out your time and sprinting through work blocks during the day. And it's incredibly effective to pair together with an accountability buddy. So if you want to sort of see how we use our time blocks and match it with accountability buddies, you can check that out at lifehackbootcamp.com forward slash masterclass.
0: Awesome. Carrie and Demir, thank you so much for being on the show and walking us through all of this. It's, it can be a lot to handle. I'm, I'm highly encouraging everybody. They may want to just, uh, okay, now that you've heard it all, go back and listen to it again and take even better notes. So thank you so much for being here. Absolute pleasure.
1: Thanks so much for having us, Eric.
0: I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of where you're at When it comes to having accountability in your life, it's not an easy concept to put into practice or to have in place naturally. In fact, it's not natural. We have to seek it out. Do you have this in your life? I'm curious because I have it in a few key places with a group that I meet with every Wednesday, a mastermind of two others that I'm meeting with on a regular basis weekly, and we do keep each other accountable. I've made significant progress in the past few months Due to these groups, which is great for me, but I'm wondering where you're at. So head on over to beyondthetodolist.com slash 182, where you'll find the show notes for this episode. Leave me a message in the comments. I'd love to hear from you about where you're at with this. While you're there, you can hit share and send this to somebody who needs to hear this episode and make sure to head on over to altmba.com slash beyond to get more information from Seth Godin's Alt MBA workshop. Their next sessions are enrolling now and you can apply through that link as well as get special consideration when you mention this podcast. Thanks again for listening and I will see you next episode.